19% of LBOs fail, leveraged buyouts, and about one half of 1% of ESOPs fail. Because an ESOP is a leveraged buyout, it's just a tax-advantaged one. From Rain Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. A few months ago, Ted Lape, a partner at Lazier Capital, helped us gain a better understanding of employee stock ownership plans, ESOPs. Since then, ESOPs have generated even more interest within the business community, which naturally means there are more questions to answer. So to provide additional clarity, we've invited Ted back to tell us why ESOPs have continued to gain momentum and to explain what's in it for the business owner who decides to go this route. Welcome back to Unsuitable, Ted. Thanks a lot, Doug. ESOPs 2.0. So we're the the new and improved version here today. Love it. Absolutely. I I hope I can think of some new lines. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you will. There's just, there's so much knowledge to... uh, to impart for business owners uh, out there because I can tell you, you know, being out there seeing, you know, dozens and dozens of, of businesses, so many of them. I, I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's quite half, but darn near that ask, you know, when we talk about transition or succession planning, ESOPs come up and uh, we point them to our, our first podcast uh, a, a couple of months back. So talk a little bit about the trends that you're you're seeing uh, in in the ESOP marketplace. There's, they still continue to be quite active, obviously. Yeah, um, we were surprised, and I, I talked about this a little bit in the first one, but maybe we can go in a little more depth. Yeah, we were surprised because as a firm, our background is more in the mergers and acquisitions mm-hmm. originally, uh, and we also had a specialty in distress. And, you know, nationally, more people do M&A or sell sure. to competitors, sell to private equity, whatever, than do ESOPs. And we assumed that would be our practice. Yeah. However, you know, we really wanted owners to understand all their options. Sure. So when I joined the firm, I kind of brought the ESOP expertise. And so we started telling owners about all their options. And then we would bring up ESOP. And the surprising thing was... Even when we would advise them to go sell to some competitor because there was a roll-up going on and they were going to pay big money and isn't that exciting? Yeah. They were picking ESOP. Seven, eight, nine out of ten times, you know, they were picking ESOP. And we initially thought it was all the features and benefits of ESOPs. And I I talked a little bit about this, but to get into more detail, as uh, investment bankers, sometimes you get caught up in the money and you're like… The multiple and and all that stuff. and. Yeah. And so with ESOPs, you know, you get a similar purchase price. Sometimes you get more, sometimes you get a little less, but then you're financing some of that. So you get all this extra interest and we can get into things called warrants, but you get more money over time. It just takes four or five, six years to get it. For the owner. For the owner. And you get a little bit less up front. There's all the tax advantages. You can Mm -hmm. sell tax-free, the company's tax-free. You get to keep running it. It's better for your employees. There's all that stuff. Yeah, And we thought, well, that's why they must be doing it. Sure. Because makes know, sense. You know, it's all about the dollars and some of that other stuff. And um, finally, we were smart enough to go back and actually ask the owners, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, we thought you were going to, you know, sell to a competitor. Why did you do this? 
And, uh, and what we heard was, we kept hearing the, the word uh, significance and relevance yeah. and, and being able to put your head on the pillow. Yeah. They talked about seeing their friends that went, um, you know, at the club. The first yeah. three months were pretty great. They're having a lot of sure. drinks. They're playing golf. They're loving life. Did you know. the bucket list, right? For, Did the bucket list, yeah. yeah, traveled. The next three months were pretty darn good, you know. The next three months were okay, and then they were starting to get bored. Yeah. You know, the Exit Planning Institute did this, this study where they talked to thousands of clients, and 75% profoundly regretted selling after a year. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and we haven't seen any of that in, in uh, ESOPs. Right. Because um, they're still, they can still be involved, obviously, and the, the culture yeah. and the legacy remain, and, and all those good things. Well, and the other thing is, the other thing they found out, um, you know, because um, they they get into the psychology of all this is, yeah. uh, baby boomers especially, um, and I'm right on the cusp of being <laughs> right. a baby boomer, so I get this. Um, get a lot of their identity, especially men, from their their uh, role in the. Um, the business, yeah, you know, that's, and, that's and their the identity, right? That's their identity, and a lot of what they do is with the customers and the vendors and the employees and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And um, when you disconnect that, people underestimate how much that affects their lives. Sure. They tend to focus a, a lot on, "Hey, am I going to get enough money out of this to live the rest of my life?" Yeah. But and what's the number I'm getting? But they yeah. don't really think about. Well, what am I going to do after I actually do this? And they think it'll be great to go again, play golf, yeah. or hang out on an island or something. And then yeah. they find out pretty quickly <laughs> that, that that's getting old. You can only do that so long. But I, yeah. I totally agree with you. The the having now been around thirty years and and seeing the the transitions and successions uh, of all different kinds, the ones that haven't worked aren't due to financial reasons. It's it's due to the owner exiting uh, that business and then mm -hmm. not having that relevance anymore. Yeah. And I think we, yeah. at the end of the day, we're people, we're all people. And, and you want to have some type of human connection and relevance and all that. And the ESOP is a way to monetize your your investment. For, it's always mm -hmm. the biggest investment for closely held business owner, right? And, yeah. and then they can still be involved, be, in, be relevant. Yeah, and, and usually they've made promises to the employees, maybe not to all the employees, yeah. but certainly to the key employees. Um, if I ever sell it, they could take care of you, or uh, they got them to join the company because they were going to build something. Sure. And then all of a sudden they sell, and uh, they feel like they're they're letting those people down. Right. Uh, with an ESOP, you know, there's special incentives for the key people on top of what they get through the ESOP. Uh, and the the owner stays involved. Yeah, um, there's not that culture change where maybe they want to leave. Yeah, so they get to see the company continue to grow. They get to see the uh, the people, you know, all the employees, but especially the key people do really well. Yeah, and they feel like, and that's where you, you hear that other phrase, you know, I can put my pillow, my head on the pillow at night because uh, I did what I what I told people I was going to do. Yeah. Now, how long, you know, here's here's one of the interesting things to me that, you, you know, you go through the ESOP transaction and, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of explain it to the employee base. Um, uh -huh. You know, the owner's obviously been involved as you as you go through and, and structure yeah. it, put it in place. How long, in your experience, does it take for the employees to sort of 
buy-in or get mm-hmm. it, so to speak, where they they sort of see that mentality, like, right. oh, I'm I'm an owner, and and this is a good thing. How long does that yeah. really take? So uh, there's different answers for different companies. I'd say you have to uh, think about sort of white collar professional service firms mm-hmm. versus blue collar uh, construction or or other kind of firms. Yeah. You also have to think about how well the company communicates that there is an ESOP. It's a benefit and it's a good thing. Yeah. So what we found is in in white collar professional service firms, the people get it pretty quickly. Okay. Um, I think the statistics are on average about a four percent productivity increase the first year. Okay. And we had a client that did it incredibly well run. I mean, one of the most productive companies going into the ESOP. Wow. In their industry. And they, they did see that 4% increase wow. the first year. Uh, they also had um, uh, uh, some millennials that were being recruited by uh, a big Fortune 500 company you'd know. Okay. By a com- uh, competitor, in essence, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, actually, not really a competitor, but, but they did uh, IT stuff. Okay. And, and one of the big Fortune 500s needed IT people. Yeah. And uh, uh, the millennial was going to leave. And uh, they said, but they stayed because of the ESOP. Wow. On the blue collar side, we find it it, uh, it takes more like two years. Okay. Now the key people get it pretty quickly, but yeah. But the the rank and file, you know, uh, you tell them you pro- usually bring in a communication firm. Sure. You tell them they think it's probably a good thing. You know, one out of a hundred or a thousand may right. try to figure out how you know you're taking advantage of them. Yeah. But they think it's a good thing. They Google it, but they, you know, they kind of forget about it. Right. And then you get your your first statement, um, and there's always a, a decent balance there because the value of the company at close, if you do 100 percent ESOP, is basically zero because there's debt to the owner and sure. the bank equal to the value. Yeah. And well, now you're tax free and you pay down that debt, and it creates equity. Yeah. Just like if you had a home that was fully mortgaged and you pay sure. on the mortgage, that creates equity. Yeah. So there's value pretty quickly. And they start to see that in the first year. They're thinking, okay, well, there's some stuff there. Yeah. It's really that second year. Okay. <clears throat> now they have twice as much stock and the, and the stock price has gone up more. So you see kind of a nice upward, yeah, uh, really nice upward trend uh, where they start to get it. Yeah. So to give you an example from a mutual client of ours. Yeah. Um, the contractor, mm-hmm. they uh, are really busy right now, as a lot of contractors are. Yep. And they had uh, over 500000 of of um, overtime uh, the second year. Gotcha. Well, they got into the third year, and he budgeted over 500000 right? of overtime. Yeah. You know, And they were cranking pretty similar. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, he told me he was shocked. They didn't have any overtime. Wow. Um, the, the employees really kind of got it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you see a lot of stories like that. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you one other one because stories are fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Just We had a company where the, uh, the, the, the best sales guy was always complaining, you know, I'm always on the road. It's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. You know, we need, uh, I, I need to stay in the best hotels. I really need to, you know, fly first class. Sure. Right. Who doesn't? So, well, it's hard. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm traveling so much. Um, well, they did the ESOP, and the next thing you know, the guy's, you know, driving rental cars and staying at <laughs> Motel 8. Um, 
And, uh, you know, so you hear a lot of stories like that. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. But there truly is, to, to your point, though, and, and statistics back this up, there truly is, uh, there are efficiency and, and uh, operational gains. Oh, that, yeah. That yeah. Are typically seen. Um, yeah. I mean, if you actually communicate it yeah. and, and embrace it, if you purely do it for the tax purposes and don't tell anyone that it really exists, then yeah. you're not going to get much. But. Yeah. But statistics would show you that, yeah, you do, you do get a fair amount. So the key is to be holistic about it and really embrace it as as a part of your culture then as, right. as a company and not yeah. look at it strictly like a, a financial play, yeah. you know, which yeah. obviously there are benefits along those those lines too. Uh-huh. Uh, so talk a little bit from the owner's perspective. What, what are, obviously beyond, we know the tax benefits, so you, you may uh, be able to, to uh reinvest the the proceeds and do some things that are tax advantaged and mm-hmm. gain some interest. Can you talk a little bit about some of those things? Yeah. So um, if, if you're an owner, you can sell tax-free. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tax-deferred, but it becomes tax-free. Now, how you do that takes some explaining. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like a 1031 real estate exchange. Okay. Uh, I don't want to get into all the ins and outs of how you do it. Qualified replacement property, correct? Yeah. So you, um, when you sell your stock <clears throat> at a ten thirty one real estate exchange, you you sell your building and you buy, have to buy another one, and you can roll over, you know, yeah, the gain. The gain. Yeah. Um, in this, if you sell your stock, you can buy either you know stocks or bonds of U.S. companies um, and roll over your your proceeds, mm-hmm. and then you're able to borrow against that to get liquidity. But essentially, at the end of the day. Um, you end up not paying any tax. Um, uh, and then the other uh, thing is uh, most people end up as 100% S-Corp ESOP. Yep. And uh, as an S-Corp, it's a flow-through entity. Right. And if the owner's the ESOP trust, you don't pay any taxes. Right. So the owner gets paid a lot, you know, pretty quickly. Sure. If you just, uh, a lot of people say, well, I'll sell to my employees. And they start look at all sorts of tricky stuff, but yeah. it usually takes 12, 15 years plus. Yeah. So employees typically don't have a lot of liquidity that they can, oh, no. yeah. you know, it's it's all on a note back to the owner. Yeah, they don't have any liquidity. They don't want to sign a personal guarantee yeah. on a bank loan. So it takes a very long time because you're using after-tax proceeds. Yeah. Um, with an ESOP, they can typically get all their money in five or six years, and that includes not only the purchase price, but a lot of interest. So right. if you sold for twenty million, you might get an extra six million of interest. Or, yeah. Um, and uh, so that's an advantage. The other thing is um, there uh, are some uh, good estate planning things you can do. So um, again, if you sell for twenty million, you can get an extra, say, six million in interest. Well, sure. you can choose something um, uh, in replacement of interest called a warrant. Okay. It's and basically the way it works is six, seven, eight years out, you could get ten to twenty percent of the value of the company. Mm. Well, that's an instrument at close. It's not worth much, right? So you can gift that to your children, and then it grows to be worth millions of dollars. Uh, and when you gift it, it doesn't use up much of your uh, exclusion or, right. or your your lifetime ability to give stuff to your kids, right? Um, and right now that. Exclusion is pretty big, but in 2025, that's going to go down a lot. And there's a lot of legislation that may happen to get it even lower. Right. That, those provisions sunset under the new the t- yeah. tax act that was passed a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, but, 
you know, all of the, uh, and this isn't a political comment, the, right. all the Democratic candidates want to get that pretty low. And right. So, you know, that could change. Yeah, you never know. So there's there's yeah. a lot to explore from the owner's perspective uh, that, that yeah. can be advantageous depending on what their goals are, right? So the, the idea yeah. is to make sure you understand what their goals are in the, in the transaction. In the transaction, yeah. And there's also uh, uh, another tax advantage that we've uh, um, taken years to develop that they get before the closing. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't cost them anything. They can be millions of dollars. So it's there's a lot of stuff on the taxes and the proceeds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, aside from all that stuff we talked about earlier, yes, with the uh, significance and relevance and all that. And because if if it's structured the right way and done the right way, the company itself is now owned by a retirement plan, right? Yep. So then, yep, they can be uh, exempt from taxes, as you said, which benefits yeah. the company because mm-hmm. that excess cash flow can be either reinvested in the company, pay down that debt, whatever the case might be, rather yeah. than going outside. That's exactly right. And I think um, there's that. And then uh, the other thing that people sometimes um, get wrong is they think, well, now the employees are going to run the company. Right. You know, we'll be voting on what to have for lunch and whether to hire someone. <laughs> yeah. and, um, now, you can do that if you want. There actually was a company that wow. set that up and they would vote on what to have for lunch and that didn't work very well. But <laughs> normally, the way it works is, uh, you know, the board controls the company and the seller, you know, has uh, a say in who's on the board. And yeah. So, usually the same people that are running it before the closing are the are ones running it afterwards. So talk a little bit because that's one of the concerns we hear. Like, oh, people are like, oh, now I'm going to have this board, yeah. And I think that gets overplayed a little bit. So who mm-hmm. who's on the board? What does it yeah. do? That, that and, and its purpose, obviously, right, is to look out for the best interest of the the employees. Correct. That's exactly right. They're um, uh, the board, and then there's the the trustees, a fiduciary, to make okay. sure that the um, uh, nothing uh, the employees are not taken advantage of. But the board is typically um, three or five people. Okay. It can be more. And uh, of the three, normally it'll be, uh, you know, the seller, one other person from the company that they think trust and add value. Yeah. And then they'll pick a independent person, uh, independent being they haven't been paid in the last year or two as a vendor. Okay. You know, for anything that might be a conflict of interest or yeah. stuff like that. So, but, but also someone that can add value. So one outsider, maybe, uh, you know, somebody who's got, experience yeah and someone the owner knows and trusts and like you know in terms of can add value yeah or it could be a a five-person board with two independents something like that yeah and so how often then does that board typically meet it's like a quarterly type of thing it could be quarterly semi-annually you know it depends on what the um uh, their attorney and their trustee sort of advise them yeah uh the trustee is not on the board the trustee doesn't come to board meetings typically sometimes they'll listen in but they're not there to run the company on a day-to-day basis. No, and, no. and they're very, you know, uh, my experience with them is they're not very intrusive, obviously, right. into the operations yeah, they, of the business. Um, they, the, the thing they really spend a lot of time on is, is the uh, purchase price fair. Mm. And, is the, and there's an annual valuation. Is that right? Yeah. And, and then are the, is anyone doing anything they shouldn't be doing? Yeah. 
But in terms of hiring and firing and opening an office and all that kind of stuff, uh, they don't get very involved. Um, if you're going to, you know, buy a big company, you want to sell the company, sure. things like that, then, you know, you got to go to them and say, well, here's the reason why we want to do this. Yeah. But um, but for the most part, they're not not very intrusive at all. Yeah. You maybe present an annual budget and kind of run that by yeah. them and that type Just of thing. Just some, you know, quarterly financials. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're not going to hear much from them. Now, if your, your company's having a lot of trouble, right. You know, you just got to tell them what the plan is. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, obviously, you know, we went through, uh, obviously financial crisis, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Um, but I'm always interested to hear this. And I, I think, you know, uh, there's a statistic about failures, uh, in, mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, transactions and things like that. If, if I recall correctly, ESOPs are very, very low down the list in terms uh-huh. of business failures. Yeah, right? the last statistic I heard, and this is dated by a few years, was um, 19% of LBOs fail. Okay. Leverage buyouts. Leverage buyout. And about one half of 1% of ESOPs fail. Because wow. an ESOP is a leverage buyout. It's just a yeah. tax-advantaged one. And I think that's because the, the employees are engaged. Yeah. Um, the debt's friendly debt. It's the seller debt. Yeah. And most people that do ESOPs um, do them for the right reasons. Yeah. They're good companies, do them for the right reason. And so they're not doing anything crazy. Right. Um, and the culture stays and, and yeah. all those types of things. It doesn't doesn't change uh, terribly much in, right. in terms of, you know, you've now sold to private equity or something. And then the culture is mm-hmm. so totally different. Right. Kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Which we see a lot. So... Talk a little bit about what you see in terms of like multiples and financing environment. Is that still pretty robust uh, out there yeah. in terms of getting yeah. these, these transactions um, done? In both the real world and the ESOP world, they're very good. Um, when they did the last tax law change, uh, all ESOPs are valued as if you're a C-Corp, mm-hmm. whether you're an S-Corp, C-Corp, whatever, LLC. And they lowered the taxes from 35 to 21%. That 14% reduction created 20, 22%, whatever it is, more cash flow. Yeah. Well, all ESOPs went up in value 15, 20%. Now, if you got a couple valuation guys on here, I'm sure they'd argue, you know, what that number is. Right. But, uh, but it went up, you know. And so you're, you're getting really nice valuations. Yeah. And you saw some of that in the real world as well. Sure. But ESOPs are valued a little bit more on discounted cash flow or mm-hmm. off the projections um, and a little less off of, of what other people sold for. Gotcha. But, but you definitely look at that. Yeah. And so uh, we're seeing uh, great um, valuations. Yeah. Now. And the banks are still obviously willing to, to yep. finance them and, and all that. Yeah. I think the banks, what we've seen is banks are really, really getting into lending to ESOPs. Yeah. Because banks aren't growing that that much on right. their commercial lending portfolios, yep. and what they've sort of figured out is um, there's uh, not a lot of stuff going on they can finance other than maybe for their existing clients to go get equipment or yeah. whatever. Um, and that this is um, a, a way to manufacture loans and uh, you know keep all the relationship. Rather yeah. than the company selling and they lose the whole thing, right? Um, and the fact that they're tax-free means that the cash flow coverage is really high. Yeah, they can recapture some of that. Yeah, accelerate it. Um, they have to get 
you know, a couple people had some, you know, ideas that weren't accurate about ESOPs or they were looking at things, I think, the wrong way. Yeah. And we've seen uh, unbelievable changes where all of a sudden they sort of started to understood it, sand it, and, good. you know, changed how they looked at them. And now they're getting pretty uh, aggressive in a good way, not a crazy way. Well, and again, their benefit from, if I'm underwriting that risk from the bank or whoever, you know, the, the, the management stays static. So you're comfortable yeah. with how the company yeah. operates and who's running it. It's not like, oh my gosh, what are these folks going to do when they come in to run it? Yeah, and if you're so. lending a similar multiple you, that you'd lend to someone else, yeah. And there's no longer any taxes. Right. Well, the cash flow is, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So, um, we, one of the questions I always like to ask, how far in advance should somebody, if they're, if they're thinking about succession or transition, you know, is it a couple years out? I mean, we always like to say, you know, let's start the conversation two years out. Is that accurate for an ESOP as well? Yeah. So, um, you have to sort of start with the end in mind. Okay. So, People will say, I want to be out in five years or seven years or three years or whatever it is. If you're going to sell to a competitor, then you can probably wait until you get a little closer to when you want to leave. Yeah. Um, although they're going to want you to be there for a year or two to kind of transition stuff. Yeah. Um, if you're going to do an ESOP, since it takes, you know, five or six years to get all your, your money plus your interest, people normally want to be there for most of that. Yeah. So that means that you want to sell you know, five or six years before you're going to leave. Right. Um, and that you also are, are going to transition to someone. So have you trained that person? Do you have to find them and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And if you're going to sell five or six years before that, well, you want to start thinking about it a couple of years before that. Sure. So, um, you know, that uh, means that you can be thinking about it pretty far ahead. And um, to, to quote the Exit Planning Institute again, <laughs> They, they did all these studies where 50% of business owners want to sell the next three to five years, mm-hmm. 75% in the next uh, 10 years. That means there's a whole lot of business owners out there that, given that lead time, should should probably at least be thinking about whether or not an ESAP's a good option. Yeah, start the dialogue, at least explore yeah. and uh-huh. you know sit down with the right professionals and try to understand what, what's mm-hmm. involved. So yeah, that's, that's great insight. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Ted. Um, 2.0 has been uh, as good or better as, than uh, <laughs> 1.0, so we'll have to keep that trend going and appreciate uh, that that uh, that insight. It's very valuable, and I know our, our business owner listeners uh, will, will love it. So uh, if you want to hear more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can subscribe to Unsuitable on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 